Sophomore year in college, I was part of a drama troupe. It was a music theatrical group. It was called Doc Rainbow's Colorful Caravan, bringing the promises of God, melody, mirth, and melodrama. And uh, so here I was, part of this gang. I'm there in the middle with the big mouth. And um, we, we toured the country, went from Minneapolis all the way to the West Coast and then back again. And as I look back, one of the funny things that happened, happened in a little town called Gothenburg, Nebraska. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. I couldn't tell you where it is. It's in the middle of nowhere. So we're in Gothenburg, Nebraska. It was a big deal for me because I was interested in this girl who lived in Stromsburg, Nebraska, and she was driving to see the show. So I wanted to impress, right? So opening curtain, we come out singing and dancing this opening song, and there's this one part. It happened a couple of times but this is the first time where the guys would come up to the front of the stage and we'd jump high in the air and we'd get this big kick, right? So I'm thinking, man, am I going to get some serious air? And I was up there. I was really up there because I want to impress, right? What I forgot was that that week, the maintenance staff of the Gothenburg Junior High, of which we were performing in, decided to revarnish the wood stage. So needless to say, as I came down from way high in the air, that my foot did not rest on that stage very long. In fact, it slipped out right underneath me, and I was on my keister like that. But I'm convinced that if you had sneezed at that precise moment, by the time you opened your eyes, I was back on my feet. (laughs) Now, you know, bouncing back on your feet... That's one thing. Now, I want to show you some guys that get knocked off their feet. It doesn't look like they're going to bounce back quite that quick. Look at these clips. Slip sliding away, slip sliding away, you know the near your destination, oh you slip sliding away. Now it's one thing to get knocked off your feet on a stage, it's a little embarrassing. It's another thing to get knocked off your feet in an athletic competition. But the scriptures this morning tell us it's a completely different thing to get knocked off your feet if you're in a fight. You're really, really vulnerable. So if you're joining us this morning, we've been going through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And he's been saying at the very end of this letter, hey, friends, be strong in the Lord. That was his one clear call. Be strong in the Lord. Let him strengthen you. And the way that you will be strengthened in him is by putting on all of his armor. And his goal is that we'll be able to stand, stand up against the enemy's schemes, and that we'd be able to stand the ground that was won for us by Christ through the cross. So last week we started looking at some of the armor. It was the the belt of truth and that bulletproof breastplate of righteousness. Well, today we look at the war boots the gospel of peace in that strong, sturdy shield of faith. So open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. You'll find it on page 830. If you uh, are using that Bible in the 
rack in front of you. Hey, and if you're a guest and you don't have a Bible, if you'd like a Bible, that's our gift to you. Just take it home. That could help you on your spiritual journey. So reading at verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 6, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so he's saying, if we're going to be able to stand strong in this day of evil, in this day of attack, we need to have the solid footing of the gospel and we need to have the sturdy shield of faith. So let's start to think about this matter of the solid footing of the gospel. And I've been trying to get into Paul, the writer's mind. So he's been a pastor of these people and to others who have received this letter. For three years, he was in Ephesus. And I'm thinking, what was he worried about? What was he concerned about? That he would save this for the very last thing that he would say to his friends. And I think it's this. I think that he was concerned that his friends would slip away from the unity of the gospel the unity that is theirs through Christ. And I think he was afraid that they would slip away from the truth of the gospel. Now, this whole matter of unity, we know one thing is that sin separates, and when Satan comes with his temptations, he's coming to bring us down and to separate us. So as we've been working through the last half of this book, we realize that our identity in Christ now moves forward in all the relationships we have to accomplish the mission of Christ. And as it works out in our marriage and in the church and with our children and our parents and in the workplace, he comes to bring division. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul said, hey, don't forget that this dividing wall that divided you between Jew and Gentile, when Christ came and when he died on the cross, he obliterated it. He abolished it. He destroyed this dividing wall of hostility. And Paul's saying to his friends, hey, you guys, don't start rebuilding walls that Christ has torn down. We have the sevenfold unity in chapter 4. He talks about one body and one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one spirit and one God and Father who's over all. He says, don't start rebuilding the walls that divide us because the enemy wants to break up the ranks because we're a whole lot stronger unified than we are divided. I remember being on the safari in Africa and watching this cheetah who had this herd of gazelles clearly in view, just sitting there watching it all. And then all of a sudden, she went sprinting. And what she did is she stirred up the, the herd and she, she was looking for the young ones. She was looking for the weak ones that weren't going to be able to keep up to pick them off. And he says, I'm concerned that you're going to slip away from the position of unity that is ours in the gospel and you're going to be easy pickings for the enemy. So dig in, find your footing in the gospel. He says another thing, though, I think here, and it has to do with this slipping away from the truth of the gospel. And I think there's a couple of ways that the enemy does this. 
One way we could call it is, is deceptive subtractions, where, where the enemy, maybe through doubt, causes us to question some of the unique qualities of Christ and claims of the gospel. So a deceptive subtraction could be like this. Jesus is not the only way. He's just one of many ways. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. That doesn't happen. It didn't happen. Jesus isn't the son of God. He's just, you know, he's a good guy, a good moral teacher. Well, we could even call him a prophet, but not God's son. These are deceptive subtractions. I'd say for most of us this morning, we're probably clued into that. Probably got a sense where the radar goes up if someone took away a key component of the gospel. I don't think we're as tuned in to the subtle additions. Here, here it's, what's dangerous about this is, is the enemy concedes Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins and you need to believe in him to have salvation. And we go, yeah, that's right, that's right. But here's the subtle addition. But it's not enough. You need something more. You need Jesus plus good works. You know, you know, Jesus is great, but you know there's some deeper things spiritually. You need Jesus plus this deeper mystical knowledge, this, this greater spiritual experience. You need Jesus plus keeping the Old Testament commandments. See, Jesus plus really equals Jesus in enough. Well, how does he get us there? Well, he gets us there by doubt. He gets us there through false teaching. So the last time we see Paul having a conversation with the spiritual leaders in Ephesus, it's in Acts chapter 20. And he's recounting the three years of ministry he had. And then he says, hey, guys, I'll probably never see you again. So I want to warn you what I think is coming your way. He says, there's wolves coming into the church. They're false teachers. And their teaching is going to tear into the flock, into the church of God, and pull people away down this path of false teaching. They're false teachers because they have a false gospel. And he goes on to say, and some of these false teachers are going to come right from the ranks of the spiritual leaders, right from within you. He was very concerned about that. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but false teaching isn't just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's the stuff that happens today. You flip through the channels on the TV. Don't, don't think that everything you hear, because it looks like church and it sounds like the Bible, is the true gospel. It may be Jesus plus. It may be the gospel minus. Now, the question here is then, if you find yourself in a position where you go, hey, I think I'm slipping from the solid foundation of the gospel, what do I got to do? Well, we got to get our, our gospel boots on. That's what he says. With your feet that are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I think what Paul had in view is this caliga. The, ah, caliga, caliga, I don't know what it is. But anyways, it's the, it's the Latin word here for the sandal for this boot that most scholars think Paul had in view. It was an open sandal that strapped up along the ankles and it had these metal studs 
like a, like a good football cleat, right? Giving you a sense of, of a firm foundation you could dig in. There's stability. It protected your feet. It also gave you mobility. One of the great distinctions of the Roman legion was their ability to travel great distances. This made it possible. So he says, what you need is, you need to have the gospel be on you like that Caliga was on the Roman soldier. Tie it on. Find that to be your firm foundation. Dig into it as you pre- prepare for that hit. So the question then is, well, what is this gospel? Well, the word gospel literally means good news. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news about God, who he is. It's the good news about what he's done. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, or you can see it there on the screen. This is probably the best little summary on the gospel in all of Scripture. Just a little back to your left in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Okay, same kind of idea. They're standing on this gospel through faith. He goes on in verse 2. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And here it is in a nutshell that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that is, that he really died, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. There it is. That's the good news in a nutshell. It's all about God's love for us in Christ, where he died for our sins according to God's plan, the scriptures that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, that he was buried in Joseph of Marimathea's tomb, and then on the third day, he sprung back to life. He was resurrected. That's the gospel, and that is our firm foundation. And when we slip off of that, we are in great danger. Roy Horn was celebrating his 59th birthday with over 1,000 friends on October 3rd, 2003. He was just about ready to do another show that had become world-renowned. Maybe you've heard of it, Siegfried and Roy, the Mirage Hotel in Las Vegas. And this illusionist and his partner had this great show, and one of the cool things of their show were these tigers. Halfway through the show that night, Roy walks into the spotlight with this six-year-old male tiger. When all of a sudden, something went terribly wrong. The tiger attacked him, grabbed his arm. He tried to have him released through verbal commands and then tapped him on the nose with his microphone. And then an awful thing happened. He lost his footing. The tiger pounced, grabbed him around the neck, and literally dragged him off the stage like a rag doll. The stagehands quickly grabbed fire extinguishers and they sprayed it at the tiger who then dropped Roy. He was rushed to the hospital where they saved his life by just, I mean, just lost about all his blood. 
He lost his career. He just about lost his life. A couple nights later on Larry King Live, his, his friend and longtime partner was being interviewed. And, and Larry asked him, he said, so what happened? Tell us about that night. And when you get right down to it, it was condensed down to two words. Roy slipped. And the tiger pounced. Roy slipped. And the word comes to us and says, you know, if we slip off the firm foundation of the gospel, the tiger, like how Peter put it, this enemy who's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, he'll pounce. He'll pounce. As he has a slipping away from the unity of the gospel, slipping away from the foundational truth of the gospel. So a quick question. Have you put on the gospel of peace? Is that yours? Do you believe that by faith that Jesus died for your sin? Do you know what it means to have peace with God? Have you experienced what Young was talking about when she said, just a sense of relief and freedom and release through the forgiving mercy and grace of God through his son? I think for some of us, we have to say, how well do I know the truth of the gospel so that when I hear the things that would add to it or take it away, I'd be ready for that? Or am I very vulnerable to slipping off the rock-solid foundation of the gospel? So the strong footing and now the sturdy shield. Look at verse 16. Here he talks about Taking up the shield of faith. Verse 16. In addition to all this, he's saying in addition to these pieces of armor, you got to take up the shield of faith, Paul says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Now the word for shield is coming from the same root word that was used to describe a door. The reason being is the shield was about the same size as a door, about four feet high, about two and a half feet wide. They would glue two pieces of wood together. They'd wrap it in canvas and then cover it in leather. They'd band it on top and bottom with some iron, and then they'd dip that shield in water. So as the soldier went out, encountering these flaming arrows that had been dipped in tar, lit on fire, and then launched, it could not only repel that arrow but it could extinguish it now historians say it was a terrifying thing to be in combat and have these whistling arrows flying at you from all directions and especially when they're on fire reminding us that they don't just do damage once but even as they hit they continue to spread fear and harm they said that sometimes a soldier, as they saw their shield on fire, would panic and throw the shield away, leaving themselves completely vulnerable to more attack. So what's going on here? We've got this shield. This shield is faith, and we've got these flaming arrows. So let's talk about the arrows for a second. What are these flaming arrows? Well, they're accusations like we looked at last week. Not only are the accusations that he brings to us where he reminds us of what we've done, but there's temptations. The, the temptations of what we could do. 
that take us beyond God's will. There's suffering, physical and emotional. There's fear and anxiety. There's persecution. There's spiritual suffering. There's pride and there's doubt. Now, here's some things that you got to remember is that he's the master of disguise, our enemy. All right? We fight not against flesh and blood, but against an invisible enemy who's the master of disguise, so much so that this angel of death has disguised himself as the angel of what? Of light. And so don't think that you might not see the arrow coming because you'd say, hey, if there was a flaming arrow coming at me, I'd know it. And man, would I get the shield up in a hurry. Well, you may not know where it's coming from, number one. But number two, you may not know that it's a flaming arrow because it comes to you as like a great opportunity. Oh, I think this will be good for me. I'm going to reach out and grab that. And all of a sudden, what's happened is this arrow starts to set your world afire and bring great, great ruin He's the master of disguise. And these are the flaming arrows. And what we need is a shield, the shield of faith. Now, we know from the song we just sang from Psalm 3, Thou, O Lord, art a shield. You're the lifter of my head. We remember what he says to to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield, your great reward. I'm the one who will protect you. And so when we think about now the, the language of Scripture moving from God is our shield to faith is our shield, the connection is our faith in God is what protects us. It's our faith in God. In fact, when we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, what do we remember? For by grace we've been saved through faith. And this, what is this referring to? I think it's referring back to both our salvation and our faith. He says, and this is a gift of God. It's not of works that no one should boast. So we know this faith isn't something that we have to muster up to. It is something that we receive by faith. It receive it from God. Now it's also good to know that we're trusting not in something, but in someone. And all of us here are trusting in something and in someone. The question is, how good is the object of your faith? See, faith is only as good as the object Now, you came in here, and you sat down on the chair you're sitting in. Why did you do that? Well, some of you are saying, well, because I've sat there for the last five years. That's why I did that. But why did you sit in that chair? You say, because when I sat in it last week, it held me up. And my sense is, I trust the leadership in this church to put a chair that's going to support my weight. But fundamentally, what you did subconsciously is you assess that chair and your understanding of the chair is it's going to bear my weight. But have you ever sat in a chair that you thought was going to bear your weight and you didn't? Oh, yeah, that happens all the time, doesn't it? If you saw that this thing was actually just a bunch of toothpicks that had been kind of glued together and held by scotch tape and there was like uh, aluminum foil on the seat, do you think you would have sat in that chair? Absolutely not. Because faith is only as good as its object. And the object of our faith is Christ. It's in God that our faith is placed and in his son. And that is a sturdy, reliable object. We're putting on his faithfulness when we hold up the shield. And what we have then is a fundamental confidence that God is good. That he is good. 
See, one of the things that the enemy loves to do is start right there, like he did with Eve. Hey, Eve, you know this thing you're not supposed to eat, this fruit over here? You know what? If you eat it, you're going to be like God. Being like God is a good thing. He doesn't want you to have that. He's not a good God. He gets us to doubt his goodness. He gets us to doubt that his word for us is a good word, that his promises are good. In fact, when John writes about this in John chapter 16, verse 8, he says that sin is unbelief. So we don't believe that God's good. So how does it work, the shield of faith? The shield of faith works like this. As we take it up in the midst of these fiery arrows that would come and attack the character of God, the word of God, the promises of God, the power of God, we take it up and say, no, he is good. His word is good. His commands are his promises in disguise. His promises are true. He's faithful. He will do this. His power is sufficient for me. And I hold it up. And I hold it up. And John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, he says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And he says, when we take up this shield of faith, all of the arrows that you face this week, that you will face this next week, all of them can be repelled and can be extinguished by faith. And so when temptation comes looking for you this week, hold up the shield. When fear and anxiety puts a full Nelson on you and chokes and suffocates you, hold up the shield of faith. When doubts start messing with your mind, when false teachers tell you that Jesus isn't enough, when suffering and persecution could get you to think that God doesn't care, he doesn't love you, hold up the shield. Hold up the shield when his commands don't really seem like his promises in disguise. They just look like a bummer. Hold up the shield. Hold up the shield when you feel like, I don't think these promises are ever going to happen. I don't think they could possibly be true. Hold up the shield. When you get knocked off your feet, like maybe happened this week, you hold up that shield. And by the grace of God, as he mercifully and powerfully brings you back on your feet, Find your cover under the shield. Friends, we weren't meant to do this on our own. We can't get it here in the English, but the commands to be strong, to put on the full armor, and to stand firm, all of those are in the plural. They're things that we do together. And so may we be a family here that has each other's backs. May may we be people who... Keep saying, no, this is the position of strength. That's where we got to dig into. It's the gospel. May we never fall away from that. Corporately and individually, that together we might stand until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, that is our desire. That the day when your feet hit this earth and you come and make all things right, that we'll be faithful by your power and your grace with all of your armor, standing the ground that you gave us. And so help us today, some for the first time, 
to put on the gospel of peace. Helps some, maybe for the first time, Lord, to come to the understanding that you are good, that you are great, that your word is good, that we might, until that day, be your people who live for your praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen.